Well, welcome to Good Business Pays TV, uh, where we bring you uh, news and views, if you like, from business leaders and from organizations. Today, we are lucky to have with us our latest non-executive director, Wilfred Emmanuel Jones, MBE, founder and CEO of The Black Farmer. What I wanted to start by is obviously you're running what for many small businesses will consider, you know, to be quite a chunky business now. But obviously you started as a very small business. How did you get into this whole area of small business? And um, what's your backstory? How do you get into this business? Well, I mean, I'm the sort of person that has always um, run my own business. I always I started off as a freelancer. And then uh, my first business, in fact, was a business called um, Coms Plus. And that was a marketing agency, PR marketing agency. And um, that's where we started off. And that's when you got to make a decision about whether you become a sole trader, whether you have a partnership, whether you have you become a limited company. And the advice at the time was to become a limited company, which has its advantages and, and, and disadvantages. And uh, in order to, to grow, <clears throat> you really eventually need to become a, um, a limited company. Uh, but um, what I discovered is that um, when you're just starting and when you're a small company, actually, you know, I'm trying to think of a nicer word to put, but I can't think of it. But the only thing I come with is that you're, you're shat on, you know, it's it is it's pretty brutal. And um, I, I from my experience, that's why I want to get involved in this organization because it really it's taken advantage of people unnecessarily. Uh, and it's a bit like for me, it's a bit like having a child, an adult having a child and then um, taking advantage and abusing it. It's that's what it felt like in the very early days is that there needs to be some sort of protection to allow these businesses the, the best of possible opportunities to um, at least try and succeed. We know a lot of businesses don't actually make it past their first year, third year, five years. So it's tough enough. If then th th their demise is due to the fact that they're not getting paid properly, that is unacceptable um, in, in our sort of society. I think that one of the things that uh, I've just realized doing business with European nations is that who are part of the EU, they've now got in law that everybody has to be paid within 30 days. And so that is just something I discovered um, recently that that's recent European legislation means that whatever the size of the company, whatever it is, you have to pay within 30 days. Now, I think that would be um, a, a good step for us in this country. But I think that when you're a small business, you need to get paid even sooner. 30 days just isn't good enough. It's all about cash. And so I think that people getting paid within 7, 14 days is what we what really should become the norm. Do you think that 7 or 14 days should apply to bigger companies as well, i.e. a big company paying a big company or just for small no. businesses? No, what what I think we need to do in this country is that we need to actually accept that in order 
to encourage more business, you have to look after your small companies and therefore you have to have different rules for small companies. And I think small companies um, should be able to demonstrate that they actually are working with small, bigger companies should be able to demonstrate that they are working with smaller companies and that um, they have special terms for um, smaller companies. I'd like to see some incentive for bigger companies to demonstrate that they, they have an X percentage of their supplier who are, are small companies and they operate under certain rules that are different to when they're dealing with companies over um, a, a, a different size. So as you've seen your company grow from being a very small one to not such a small one, what have been some of the biggest challenges that you've had to face, not just in the payments area, but that would be great to hear, but um, but broader business challenges that you've grown? Well, I think the, the biggest problem that you have is the, the larger companies want to work with large companies. They don't want to work with small companies because it's too much of a hassle. It's too much as a, 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 as a faff. And it becomes a bit of a closed shop. It's more of a closed shop than you would ever imagine. And I'll give you an example of that. You know, in this country, there are three big pork producers and they dominate the chain, the, chip, the food chain. They work with the supermarkets where the volume is. And what is left, i.e. the second tier uh, manufacturers, that they get what, what, what is uh, left over. And I think the only way that you are going to encourage new blood is where these smaller companies have a route to market. That's why I'm advocating that a company over a certain size, in order to get either a tax relief or a tax benefit, has to demonstrate they have X number of small companies on their books that equals a certain turnover that then, and they, they pay them on, on, on the terms, on uh, healthy terms, and they're helping these companies um, grow. They're nurturing them because these companies have, um, they have a consistent um, route to market. They're having a consistent income. If we had that, I just think it would then help to sort of breed um, newer, more innovative companies because otherwise they're just left scrabbling around yeah. uh, as the bigger companies just swallow up more and more. And um, quite often in good business pays, we talk about slow payment and late payment as two separate issues you know if you're on 90 day terms for example that's a long time you wouldn't go into a restaurant have a meal and then say i'll come back in three months and pay you for the meal i've just had so that's slow payment yeah. but also as dangerous and maybe more dangerous is if i've got a 90 day contract with you on that 90 days i expect the money to come in if it's 91 i'm in trouble um mm. is there a difference um for you in terms of thinking about slow and late payment one's worse than the other or both of the same well, the, the, the worst one for us is slow payment and uh, i'll give you an example of that so we're in uh very very inflationary times at the moment and we are getting price increases from our manufacturers our manufacturers will come to us and they'll give us a week's notice and say right i'm sorry but the way things are we have to put the prices up we then go to, let's say, the supermarkets and say, look, you know, here's open books. We, we've just had this price increase. We need a price increase. And what they do, they all do it. So now, 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 you've got to go to our processes. That's slowing it down. We've got to go through all of their reviews. So you're talking about um, weeks, months, more, more likely months 
before they then agree it. But then they will say, well, but then it's not due to start for a month, another month later. So you, as, a, as a company, you had to start um, paying. But if you get it, the, the price increase, it could be some two or three months later. And that's a way of just slowing it down. And you as a small business have to take that hit. And you yes. just get that. That is, that is the biggest trick that they play, they pay, even though everybody knows out there that there's massive inflation. But you end up having to carry the increase for, for months because the people who are due to pay, they don't. And is that part of a negotiation or an ongoing contracting process? What should actually happen? What should good look well, what, I mean, what in normal times, you know, you work to a sort of contract that any price reviews are done on a quarterly basis. And then you will have enough time to be able to have discussions to say, look, the, the price of pork's going up or this going up. And so by the time we come to our next quarterly review, our prices are going to be going up. And so you have you have that time to, to, to negotiate. And hopefully by the time the new contract comes up, all that's agreed. Mm. Extraordinary times, what people are doing is trying to use that process that is no longer relevant because when prices are changing at the rate that is changing at the moment, it, you, you just you, you you don't have the time to be able to, to to negotiate because prices are just changing at such a fast rate. So you can see why lots of companies go bust in these sort of inflationary periods because. If you're waiting months to negotiate a new price, but you're having to pay out the price, you can see where the, di the, di the, the dilemma is. And what tends to happen as far as the thing that I think is unfair is that if a bigger business has an issue with prices, they go to the government. They go to the government for support. It happens a lot in the food industry. You know, There's been some crisis in some um, area of farming, and farmers are not getting paid money. So then the bigger companies as a collective will go and appeal to government. Government will help out. And then that keeps their business afloat. As a small business, you don't have that option. And I find it really, really frustrating that these big, large companies, whether that's the supermarkets themselves, whether it's the big manufacturers, go to government and say, actually, the situation is a bit different and we need your help, we need your support, and they get it. So they sort of realize that they're too big to fail mm -hmm. and therefore they have um, a lot more power in terms of getting help from the government. When it comes then to smaller businesses, we then don't get that help in return. And that's where the problem is. We, um, we publish uh, watch lists of late and slow payers twice a year now. And what I found is food and beverage sector is one of the worst yes. in terms of being slowest and late at paying. Um, mm -hmm. I often talk about it as payment culture. Uh, what, what's the explanation as to why food and beverage should be so different than quite a lot of other sectors? Well, the, the thing about the, the food sector is that it's um, high volume, low margin business. You know, everybody's working on um, low margins. And therefore, holding on to the cash as long as possible is, you know, the, the thing that's sort of built into their to their model. But what that does is that it kills off um, small companies. It kills off innovations because the big boys could go hammer and tongue at each other. So, you know, you'll read occasionally where, you know, Tesco's will fall out with, I don't know, one of these big boys doing a big brand. And, you know, they're both heavyweights slogging it out with each other and they'll eventually come out, come up with a compromise. Um, 
But what has happened to the, 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 the food industry is that over the last 30 years, um, what the supermarkets did is they got rid of brands. And that's why when you're going to most retailers, it's very, very much own label. And so what they do is they go and they have a contract with a manufacturer or they have a contract with a farmer. And therefore, it doesn't really give the customer much choice. You either go to one or four um, of the one or five of the big supermarkets. And that's a fundamental way of choices. And it's when you have smaller players that you get really good competition. But if they've got no route to market, there's nowhere for them to sort of compete. And so one of the things I'm advocating, I think there should be a law where the government says X percentage of the stuff that you actually sell in a supermarket needs to be locally produced. That will then bring about competition. But the, 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 the fact that that doesn't exist, it means that they control the food chain. And therefore, if you're a small business, getting into supermarkets is totally impossible because, you know, it's... My story is pretty unique. Not many brands get an opportunity to, to get into the supermarkets. And so they're then stuck in the sort of independent sector. But what, what I'm saying is that if people understood the, um, the, the food chain in this country, they will then discover, you know, there's some pretty dodgy practices going on. And um, another example of that would be most of the food that we eat in this country are eaten outside of the home not you know it's not it's eaten outside of the home and um if the consumer understood so when they're buying foods from the supermarkets they're quite demanding about animal welfare how the food is produced and so the supermarkets have to be really 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 careful because what they really care about is look making sure they look after the the consumer to the detriment of the supplier you know the, the consumer is really important and so part of what we've got to do is that we have to get the consumer on side that demands to the supermarkets, look, what we expect of you is that you do have more brands, that you do treat these people fairly, because your existence is down to us shopping with, with you. So what I think is that probably what we should be doing is not just appealing to the, 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 the manufacturers or the, the, the big companies themselves, is appealing to the consumer. And the consumers would think it's only fair that you treat the smaller players right because, you know, they're going and handing over this money to these big players and they expect that the big players should be doing that, the right thing by smaller producers. So I think consumers is a really, really important thing. So my brand is where it is today because I got the consumer on side. I would not be listed in the supermarkets if I didn't understand the power is with the consumers. Yeah, and I found that with CEOs of very large companies as well, is that they're so far away from the small business owner in terms of the day-to-day -day, that then they're not sort of connected to the problems of a small business owner. So, uh, you know, I, th I just think that um, we need to get the conversation away from the boardroom table and onto the kitchen table almost in terms of... You see, uh, I think the thing is this, is that... Most, I, I did a survey once and it says most people who go on and do MBAs never go on to run a business. And so they understand the theory of business, but they haven't really had the experience of running a business. Most CEOs, managing directors have, have never, they're managers. And they're, that means they're just managing numbers. They're not managing people. 
when you're an entrepreneur, when you're when you're a startup, it's emotional. It's emotional. It's about people, and it's about actually how do you steer a course through this emotions to figure out the ones that are going to go on and do phenomenally well, the ones that will fall by the the, the wayside, and and the ones that need a bit of support. Now, a computer cannot do that. No. And and that's what I think a lot of these managers do. They type some numbers in, and then decisions are made on that. And that's why um, I don't think that small businesses and entrepreneurs are served well because the skills you need to be able to to take a punt to those who is worth the risk, you know, just putting numbers in ain't going to give you that information. So, um, Wilfred, in closing, what do you think? And uh, I guess two questions really linked. One is, why did you decide to get involved with Good Business Pace? And secondly, what do you think we should achieve together for small business owners? Well, the reason I wanted to get um, involved in Good Business Pace is having experience as a small business, what it's like, having managed to survive it, I want to be there to really use my weight to try and hold these people into account, to try and push for change. And that no one could actually look at me and say, well, this guy has no authority to talk about that because I've lived it, I've breathed it. My backstory is, you know, you know, a guy, how does a guy from, you know, Windrush generation, small heath in Birmingham, from dirt power going to run a, you know, 10 million turnover pound uh, company? Now, some of it has been unnecessarily hard, um, unnecessarily tough. There are masses of disadvantages that have not been necessary. And there's a lot more that I could have actually gone on and achieved and still could go and achieve if I had the basic support that these big corporates would get. Uh, and uh, if I could do anything to help that cause, I will, I will go out of my way to, to do my best for it. Mm-hmm.